I want to say good morning, but that'd be wrong. <laughs> I, uh, man, this is, this is going to sound really silly. Um, everything feels off. Maybe I should go back up here. So, uh, we, uh, <laughs> there was a time which, like, everyone always went to church on Sunday evenings, and no offense if you didn't grow up in that tradition. I kind of did, but then my generation has kind of destroyed a lot of those sort of things, and so it's kind of strange, like, being here on Sunday evening. And the brain does really weird things. Uh, I don't have an intro written, so this is what you get. You get my first thought, right? But the brain does really interesting things. As I was going uh, into the bathroom, I was putting the mic on, I was, I was realizing... I started thinking, where's my Sharpie? And that's such a, that doesn't mean anything to you guys, but I used to tour and do illusions professionally or, or magic, depending on who was hiring me. Um, so you had to say illusions or churches wouldn't hire you, but in the world, like, so they're magicians, right? And that was something I did professionally. And one of the big things before a show, like we'd go up and we'd talk to the sound people and we'd talk to make sure things are ready. And then I'd be like, where's my Sharpie? Because in, in a trick, if you're doing a trick on stage and you're like, oh, I forgot my Sharpie. Let me walk over here awkwardly and get it. Then everyone thinks, oh, that's where the trick happens. So you're like, you always had to know where your stuff was. And so I had this moment, like a few seconds ago, I was like, where's my Sharpie? And I was like, what is, I don't know. I don't know what Sunday night church does to me, but like, I just all of a sudden get in this weird place in my head. But that's not why we're here. We're going to talk about 1 Samuel. And the whole idea was we wanted to celebrate Mission JC together, and we wanted to still be able to gather and worship together, and we wanted to talk about 1 Samuel. Because we had Easter, right? And then we had uh, Mission JC, and now next week we're in uh, Chronicles and Psalms, and we've already finished 1 Samuel, and we didn't want to try to have to like discuss so much information next week that no one could really keep up. So we thought, man, it'd be really great to just have a Sunday evening service and, and cover a little bit first Samuel. So that's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to have the verses on the screen, but I would encourage you to grab one of these. Uh, there's a hardback black one in front of you. We're going to be in first Samuel three, barely nine, 13, 16. That's where we're going. Okay. Those are kind of our touch points in first Samuel. And we're going to hit some of that. Um, let's uh, just for fun, uh, those of you who, if you've been reading through first Samuel, or if you just know, there are three major characters in 1 Samuel. I'm not going to have you name them yet because that would spoil it. I want you to tell me, what are some minor characters? What is someone that you're like, oh, that's in 1 Samuel. I remember this person's name, but they're probably not the major character. Yell them out. Eli. Uh, yeah, right. So Eli, that's a good one. I don't want to write it. But yeah, Eli and Hannah. What's, a, what's another minor character? I'm trying to pressure your brain not to think of the three major ones. What's another minor one? I'll help you. He's really tall. Uh, okay, that's a major one. Goliath! Hey, Goliath's in there. What? Uh, right? Who else is in there? There's a whole bunch of other Hebrew people that's hard to pronounce, right? Tons of different people. I was trying to think of, like, the most minorous characters I could think about. Um, and uh, what's the guy... Nabal, right? Man, that guy's a schmuck, right? So I was thinking about that. So who are the three major characters? Just hit me with them. There are three characters this whole story's about. Saul, Samuel, and David. David. Hey, namesake, right? Right? Okay. So uh, I'll, I'll put them up here later. But we're going to talk about Samuel, Saul, and David. And we're going to go through these guys. We're going to kind of blitz it to tell the whole story. And I want us to kind of flat back and look at these characters and say, what is the narrator? What is the Bible? Why did God orchestrate this person to write this story? What is God trying to tell us about these characters and about seeking the Lord? Because we already know all over the Bible, God's already told us what he wants from us. He wants a right relationship with us. He wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? That's what he wants. And so then what do these characters tell us about that? So as you turn your Bibles, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to start talking about these guys.
God, I pray that you would guide us right now as we read your word. I pray your spirit would move in us and that your word would bear its weight on us and that you would help us to uh, bleed us from excuses, from any barrier that prevents us from loving you fully, from looking to you. Help us to learn from these characters, these people um, that experience great loss, great tragedy, great joys, people that chased after your heart. God, I pray that you would move us to action through these stories. You've put us here for a reason this moment. May we draw near to you. See your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as is in heaven. First, we're going to talk about Samuel. Say Samuel. Samuel, right? Okay, so Samuel was a, a prophet, and he sought the Lord despite all of his circumstances, despite how it made him look. Dude, this is his thing, right? And so Samuel was born from Hannah, and there's the story about how she prayed, and then she gives him to the priest. Uh, the high priest's name was... Eli, right? And she gives him to him, and so he's in their service. And there's this weird situation that we start seeing immediately in the story where Samuel, who has been given to God as a boy, is having the situation with Eli where he keeps waking him up because Eli doesn't see well and they're confused, and God's trying to talk to Samuel. It's a very weird story. If you look in chapter 3, we're going to read it starting in verse uh, 9. What happens is there's uh, three times where the Lord speaks out to Samuel, and Samuel, as a young boy, gets up, and he's like, hey, what's up, Eli? What do you need? And Eli's like, oh, quit waking me up. You're a terrible alarm clock, right? And Eli's like, I'm not talking to you, right? And Eli realizes it must be the Lord. And so here's what happens. Chapter 3, verse 9. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went to lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at the other times. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. My goodness. It's a little boy. He wakes up. He says, God, I'm listening. I'm listening. He says, I'm about to do something that's going to tickle the ears of everybody. It's just going to blow them away. That's what God's saying, right? And so uh, Samuel, he hears it. He's excited. He has no idea the harsh word he's about to hear, right? Here, keep reading with us. Verse 12. This is God talking. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to the end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because of his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by the sacrifice or offerings forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the door of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called to Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? What did the Lord tell you? Do not hide it from me. May God do to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he had told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. He hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall on the ground. Imagine this story. Maybe it's familiar to you. This little boy, he wakes up, he says, God, speak. I'm listening. Your servant's listening. Your servant hears. And God speaks this harsh word. He says, hey, this guy that's, that's basically your father figure, he's the high priest of Israel. He's a big deal. Eli, I'm going to punish and wreck him, and there ain't nothing that's going to atone for it. Deal with that, little boy. 
And then it says he lied, he, he lied in his bed. It doesn't say he went back to sleep, which maybe no boy goes back to sleep after that message. Right? And so then Eli comes. He says, tell me everything. Speak now. Tell me everything. Man, did Samuel say, you know what? You should go talk to God. Maybe you should, you should ask God. No, did he, did he wax eloquent? Did, did the story say no? And he kind of he sugarcoated it? No, it says he told him everything. And Eli said, man, okay. If it is of the Lord, let him do what seems good. Samuel humbled himself before the Lord. He listened and obeyed. Samuel chose the Lord above everything else. I think there's a message in here when we look at just Samuel's character. And we see this uh, other times in his life too. Samuel's not interested in what other people think about him, uh, uh, his own personal protection of himself. Samuel's orbit is to the Lord. He says, the Lord is above me. I don't fear man. I don't even fear Eli, my dad figure who, who is the high priest. I fear the Lord and I listen to the Lord. He says, I will obey God and seek him more than those around me. And I think, as I read this, I think, man, we, we struggle sometimes with that, do we not? Like, if we're being honest, like, we, we fear and hold in high esteem what others think about us, our own evaluations of ourselves, what we think is important, our pride, our insecurities, whatever else. We want to be the best. We want to be the smartest. We want to be the most important and have it our way. We especially struggle when things in our life get heavy, when things are difficult. And even if the Lord has a hard message for us, man, we want things to be the way we want them to be. And Samuel, right from the shoot, when we have all these other stories of judges, things being all over the place, right? We have this guy, this young boy, which is an irony in the story, that now a child is the one to actually submit to the Lord. He's the one that's going to follow the Lord. This unlikely boy comes from, from unexpected means. He's the one that says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to him. Moses and Joshua have called us to love the Lord with everything that we have. And by loving him, we'll, we'll listen to him. We'll obey him. Samuel gives us a taste of that. Say, man, I'm not going to care about what other people think. And so many of us do. We care about what other people think. We care about our circumstances. Those things are holding us back. And Samuel, right from the shoot, he, he says, man, speak. Your servant hears. When we're looking at Samuel, church, that's what those watching at home, I, I want you to think about that. Is that your posture in life to say, speak, Lord, your servant hears? The underlying implication is I'm your servant. I'm not my own servant. I'm not David's servant. I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm not about me. I look to the Lord. You speak to me. I don't speak to you. I don't tell you how it's going to be, God. Speak. Your servant hears. This is the posture we see of Samuel. In the end of the story, it says, Samuel grew. The Lord was with him, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. We see several times where a lot of these people who are following the Lord, the judges, other stories. I mean, have you guys, you've read the stories in the scripture. Do their words fall to the ground? Are they, are they trash balls who mess things up? Yeah. But then Samuel, oh, he obeys God in this hard circumstance. That's Samuel. Samuel reminds us that we look to God despite our circumstances, despite the heavy things people put on us. Next up, I want to talk about Saul, because we could say a lot about Saul. Israel wants a king. And so they come to Samuel, who's now the prophet, and they're like, meh, we just we got to have a king. All these people got kings. It's better. Just give us a king. And so he's like, nah, that's dumb. You don't want a king? That's, that's a bad idea. And he gives them very specific reasons why it's a bad idea. And then uh, and Samuel's not having it. He tells God, and uh, God's like, hey, go ahead and give him the king. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. 
right? And so we find out, we see Saul coming out of, uh, mentioned in First Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, you can read it. But it basically says, Saul's a good-looking dude, right? I mean, he's tall, he's attractive, strong. He's, he's the guy that should be king. He's the guy that everyone, I mean, you just look around the room and you say, who should be king? That guy. He's tall and strong and better looking than everyone else. That's our king. That's who we want. And don't, don't act like that's silly to you. Like, you like people who are tall and attractive, right? I mean, that's just a natural pattern of human life. We see someone who's tall, strong, handsome, deadlifts more than us, can do backflips while holding bar barbells, they can shoot better three-pointers, whatever our thing is. We have some standard like, this person's above us. They're a little bit better than us, so maybe they should lead. Put that person in charge, right? And all the tall people in the room are like, please don't put me in charge just because I'm tall, right? That's like, I don't, hold on, that's a bad standard. But this is it. He was tall and everyone else. Saul did a few things right from the shoot that seemed okay, but then very quickly you find out that Saul is mostly about himself. He cares a lot about himself. In fact, uh, I've drawn this a lot before, and I've lost my chalk. That's okay. Where's my Sharpie, people? Dang it. i got to walk all the way off over here. I'm so sorry. Guess we'll use orange. It's okay. So, So you have Saul here, and Saul, different than Samuel, who's looking to the Lord, Saul has this orbit of his life. And everything that comes up somehow has to come back to Saul. And if it doesn't come back to Saul, it's stupid. And it doesn't need to happen, right? And that's the basic story. And I think some of us thought, maybe, maybe you put your name in here. Maybe you're Saul. It was just a struggle, right? I and mean, you've heard me do this. I see this word orbit a lot. And you guys hear me say orbit. Oh, David's talking about orbit. He's going to talk about orbit. But this is the issue, right? You can be like God. You can decide good for me, bro. I promise you. Every issue in your life is ultimately a God issue. It ultimately comes back to this. And so Saul, he wants things to be about him. Look at this uh, story in 1 Samuel 13. What happens is Saul's getting some armies together. He's got a whole bunch of folks together, right? And he's going to go do some conquest things. But then some people get scattered and some things don't go so well. Listen, 1 Samuel 13. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops, like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped in Mishmash at the east of beth When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. This is a lot of things they hid there. Hide-and-seek champions. It's crazy, right? Tombs, cisterns, rocks. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan in the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. He waited seven days. Quick note, the author would want you to remember this. A few chapters earlier, Samuel told him to do this. Wait seven days, then I'll come and you'll, get, you'll give the sacrifice. I'll give the sacrifice. Samuel said, I'll give it. The peace sacrifice uh, and all those things, I'll offer it for you. So Saul here, he waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings. As soon as he had finished, think of the timing on this. How super awkward, like, right? So he finished this thing he wasn't supposed to be doing. As soon as he finished, who rolls in? Samuel. Behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? Listen. Listen to Saul. This is the kind of guy Saul is. When I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and the Philistines had mustered a mishmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought favor with the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. 
And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For the Lord would have you establish your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. This doesn't seem like a big deal to us. I mean, just be honest. This doesn't, it's like, okay, yeah, the guy was doing the religious thingies, right? What's so big deal? He's doing religious thingies. Sam is upset. He's religious thingies all wrong. Get over it, right? It's a big deal because places have value. And there's roles that God's given these people. Priests did priest things. Prophets did prophet things. Kings did king things. And the real issue here is that Saul has something going on with his heart. Because when Samuel approaches him, Saul doesn't have the heart of, gosh, you're right. Dang it. Listen, I was really afraid. I'm so sorry. Let's, can we offer a forgiveness together? I, I, Lord, I'm sorry. We don't get that. We don't get repentance. We don't get any sort of uh, sanctification language. Nothing. We get excuses. It was that woman you gave me. Oh my goodness, she ate the fruit first. There's this immediate thing, this idea of excuses. God, it's ultimately your fault because this prophet, he didn't come on time and you were supposed to be here, Samuel. Do you see the armies? They're all scattered over there. They're come on, I had no choice. It wasn't me. It's not me. It's all about Saul. He wants everyone to think he's right. He's the dude. He's got it figured out. Saul is a dude of excuses. Say excuses. Saul's got all the excuses. He's got all the excuses. Saul's orbit's all about himself. He didn't listen to Samuel's command. He has no repentance. He's full of excuses. The people are scattered. You weren't here, Sam. Come on, dude. I hadn't sought favor with the Lord yet. We got to win the battles, right? His orbit's all about himself. On his circumstances, the dude's full of excuses. I read this and I think like, what's my excuse? Man, it's... Waking up early and spending time with the Lord is really hard. Parenting's, parenting's so hard. Finding time alone with the Lord is so hard. Family worship is hard. It's uncomfortable. It's, uh, eating healthy is hard. Or whatever. I mean, clearly the scripture is not about eating healthy. Don't hear me say that. Gosh, that's bad scripture exegesis, okay? Samuel or Saul is full of excuses. He has an ultimate problem where everything has to come back to him. His excuses is ultimately, hey, this is all about me and I was doing it my way. So Samuel, you need to just get on board with my way. God, you need to get on board with my way because I'm the king. I do what's right. This is the kind of guy Saul is. And if you read the story, you continue to see that. Saul kills people randomly. Dude throws spears three times, maybe four, three times at David. You know how many times he hits David? Exactly zero. Can you imagine being so bad at throwing a spear that you don't even ask any of the people around you on time three? Listen, guys, I've missed this dude twice. Can you throw the spear for me? Because I just really want to pin him against the wall. Nope. He throws it every time. Misses every time. The dude is a nightmare. He's full of excuses. Constant coming back. And I think it draws us. It begs us say, what's my excuse? Look at me. What's your excuse for not loving and obeying the Lord? What is it? May the spirit put that in your mind. What is it that's separating you, right? Because later what we see, what kind of guy does Saul become? He becomes full of anger. He becomes full of bitterness. He becomes full of grief. He starts chucking spears at people to get his way. He randomly brings some no-name kid in to play a harp for him so he feels better. God orchestrated that. It was David. It's crazy. Saul is all about himself, getting things for himself. His excuse is, it's got to be about me. And Samuel tells him exactly what the problem is. Verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own 
heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. Where is your heart at? What are your excuses? Don't let this just be a Sunday night where you happen to be at church, you happen to be watching on Facebook, and you miss that. What is your excuse? Because Saul was full of them. Adam and Eve were full of them. The judges, people and judges, Israel, they're full of excuses. And God's not having it. Because you know when people give you junk excuses, you know really they're not interested in loving you. You, They're not interested in repentance. They're not interested in correcting their behavior. They just have excuses because it's ultimately about them. Whatever orbits them. What's your excuse? Your anger? Your bitterness? your, Your tough life? I'm not here to tell you that it's not that big a deal. It's a hard thing. Cancer is a hard thing. Family members dying is a hard thing. Work is a hard thing. Family is a hard thing. There are a lot of hard things in our life. That's not an excuse not to love the Lord because it led Saul to anger, bitterness, hate, grief, ultimately taking his own life. Saul's story reminds us that when we put ourselves in the center, it kills us. And that's the story of sin over and over and over in Scripture. This is why the wages of sin is what? Death! Your sin will kill you. Your orbit of yourself will kill you. What's your excuse, church? What is keeping you from loving and obeying God? Samuel reminds Saul that he has a heart problem. The Lord, sought, um, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And then we're back to the heart issues all over again. We're back to the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Isaiah 29, 13 and Matthew 15, 18. Jesus quotes it. Isaiah said it first. He says, they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This is the issue, right? It's back to this heart orbit. Where are we at? They draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Lastly, let's talk about David. God rejects Saul. He's out. See you, Saul. You can't handle it. And then Saul becomes a train wreck. Read it. Maybe you'll relate to Saul's character. Maybe you find yourself and you're saying, man, I've only thrown a spear a couple times at people, but man, I'm not too far from maybe landing on my own spear because I'm not looking to the Lord. I've got all these excuses. Here comes David, though. God rejects Saul. Samuel's all bummed about it. And then God sends Samuel to Bethlehem to meet Jesse's sons. We'll pick it up in Samuel 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Samuel gets there and he's looking at uh, the sons here. When he, when he came there to Bethlehem, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord has anointed his, uh, the Lord's anointed is before him. Because, you know, he looks like a good guy. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Interestingly enough, who had tall stature? Saul. Hmm. Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature. The author's doing something here, reader. It's like he's giving us a little side. Hey, you remember that thing in, in chapter 9, verse 1 and 2? Right? There's a reason why it didn't work out for Saul, right? Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the... Come on. The Lord looks at the... Ah, it's too good. God's seeking a man after his own heart, and God looks at the... Gosh, it turns out God cares about what's on the inside. Forget your excuses. Forget what everyone else says. Forget how the world around you, your circumstances. God cares about your heart. There's something there, and I will talk about it every single time I'm up here preaching because that's where we struggle. Evil doesn't need to just make your life junk. Evil doesn't need to give you some Job experience. Evil needs to make it all about you. 
Evil needs to get whatever it is. Maybe it's through a Facebook meme that you saw. It says, oh, I really need to care about self-care now. And then it's all back to you again. Or, oh, maybe I really need to think about my family, my retirement, my savings. That's all evil's got to do. It's back to you. That's what's at stake, as always, is your heart. It's not the school system. It's not the government. It's your heart. That's what needs changed. Got off script, sorry. But the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass. I'm not going to pronounce that right off the cuff, sorry. And made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Verse 9. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Seven is the number of completion. Interesting, right? Could have been 20 sons. We don't know, right? Seven. Anyway, all these sons passed before him. Tons of sons passed before him. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? Like something's up. What's up here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping sheep. Hey, what does he call his son at this point? His youngest? Nothing. He gets no name. All these guys get names so far. This kid gets no name. If you're reading this story for the first time and it's not the headings, side note for you, church. The Bible wasn't written with verse numbers and chapter numbers and headings. They were written on scrolls. And it was just words. And so at the top of your little place where it says, David is anointed king, no one reading this story has heard the name David yet. You just got a little bit of it because some, someone at some time wanted to make it a little easier to read in the section. So this is important, though. Has David's name been mentioned yet? No, he's a no-name. Oh, yeah, my youngest. Oh, he's out there doing the sheep thing. He's not important. That's the implication of the story. He's nobody. He doesn't even get a name in the story yet. There remains the youngest, the unnamed child, the one out there we don't even know. No offense to Jesse, but, you know, he's not really honoring his boy here. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for I will sit down until he comes. And he sent him and he brought him. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Has David's name been mentioned yet? No, this is very important. Think about that, what the scripture is saying here. No name. That, here it is, first time David's name is mentioned in scripture. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. Whoa. When we're talking about David, we need to know that the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. That's what matters. The spirit of the Lord rushes upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah, right? So Saul and David, you can compare and contrast them all day. We could make a list, but they're different characters. They come from different people. Benjamin is the tribe that Saul comes from, and those people really wreck some things in Judges, right? A little nightmare of a tribe there. A lot of things going on there. And then David comes from the tribe of Judah, right? And all these different things coming out of that. Ultimately, like they're different in their size and stature and all these things. But ultimately, there seems to be a major thing that separates David. What's special about David? Say it. Say it like you mean it. His heart catch that. Because the, the, the Bible's already told us what's special about. In, uh, where are we at? In earlier, verse 14 of chapter 13, he says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And David, who doesn't even have a name in the Bible yet, it's understood that the Lord's looking at his heart. There's something there about David. We're talking about this heart again. Man, Saul's heart? No, it stinks. David's heart has something special. Here's the message of David. Who was David? Before Samuel anointed him. He was a shepherd. What else do we know about David before Samuel anointed him? He was the youngest son. What else do we know about him? Huh? 
Yeah, okay, he played harp, that's right, yeah, yeah. You know what else we know about him? That he was a man after God's heart. Because Samuel said so a few chapters earlier. I missed that. I've heard so many sermons on King David. I mean, you guys expect me to talk about like, oh, the Lord looks at the heart, like everything that a pastor should say when you're preaching about David. Catch this. His name isn't mentioned hardly at all until after he's anointed. And the only thing that Samuel wants us to know about him before he's anointed is verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 14. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart. David was a man after God's own heart when nobody was looking, when nobody knew his name, when he was nothing. He was seeking the Lord. Who are you when nobody's looking? Who am I when nobody's watching me? When, when addiction flares up, when I get to say all those things in marriage that we don't want anyone to hear us say because we take, we take advantage, because we're so close to someone, we just stomp on people we love. Who am I when no one's looking? When I'm not up here, when I'm not on Facebook, when I'm not Pastor Dave at the cops, who am I when no one's looking? Am I seeking the heart of God then? Because Saul wasn't. And you notice that, does David make mistakes? Those of you who know the story of David? Knock, knock, Bathsheba. Yeah, right, David makes some big mistakes, right? David really biffs it. He even prays the Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Does the Lord leave David and just leave him and completely reject him like he did Saul? No. Why? Because David's tall, handsome, awesome, strong, good looking, Right? Because David sought the Lord's heart. This is Saul. And this might be you. Full of excuses, full of himself, full of whatever it is, come back to him. And David, when no one's looking, when no one knows his name, he's seeking the Lord. They draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. David writes in Psalms 51, we might cover it in a few weeks, but Psalms 51, verse 16 and 17 for you will not, this is after he has an affair, he kills a dude, he does all the bad things. He writes this psalm. For you, Lord, will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. Who offered a sacrifice when they shouldn't? We just read a story about it. His name's Saul, right? And David says here, if you will delight in sacrifice, I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. The Lord desires repentance and dependence on him. To love him, to obey him. Samuel follows the Lord and obeys him no matter what the appearances are. No matter what could come against him. No matter how bad he could look in front of Eli. No matter how much he could, he could hurt his own name by giving a bad word to Eli as a young boy. Samuel trusts God no matter what. Saul orbits himself and cares about his appearance. David chases God's heart even when no one's looking and no one knows his name. Church, the Lord looks at the heart. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in church. It doesn't matter how many times you've heard someone preach about David, Saul, Samuel. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you know about all this stuff. It doesn't matter if you're sitting at home and you're the expert or you've never heard it before. The Lord is looking at your heart. Hear me. Let me level with you because I love you. What is your excuse? What is keeping you from looking to the Lord? Maybe you said a prayer many, many years ago, and that's great, and that faith is beautiful and wonderful, but what is keeping you today from seeking the Lord? What is your excuse from saying, your servant hears you? I'm here, God. Your servant hears you. I'm your servant, and I hear you. I'm not going to tell you what to say. 
I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing. I'm your servant. What's your excuse? May the Spirit lay that on you, and may you be able to open up. Let go of your excuses. The Lord looks at our hearts. He knows you. He sent Jesus as a sacrifice for you. As you read this story, you're going to find out the whole Bible is one giant narrative that points to King Jesus because you can't change your heart. You can't change your heart. You cannot change your heart. Try a lot. Do all the self-care. Have a ton of science and solitude. Start working out a lot. Increase your deadlift. Eat kale smoothies. You cannot change your heart. I tell you that because I love you and I hope that it haunts you at night. Because you will do whatever you can to get back in this orbit. Because that's what evil wants for you. Hear me because I love you. Evil wants you to come back to yourself. To even hear this message and say, oh my gosh, I don't want to be Saul. I got to be more like Samuel and David. Geek ads, how do I be more like David? I got to go do stuff. Stop. You can't change your heart. Your heart stinks. Your heart says you want to be God. I know that because that's my heart. I know that because that's what the Bible tells me. That our hearts are like Saul. Our hearts are like Adam and Eve, are like all the other people. We want our own orbit. But God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for us. To take on all of the sin, all of our heart problems, all the times we're all the time say we can do better we can do it right I'm going to read this mommy blog and get it better it's all on me it's all about me Jesus takes all that and dies on the cross and says it is finished and then he rises from the dead praise God and he's able to say all authority in heaven has been given to me so go and make disciples of all nations believe in me and obey me baptize these people in the name of the Father Son and the Holy Spirit teach them to obey everything I've taught you and remember I'm with you always this is the gospel you can't change your heart God loves you enough to do it for you. He dies, and he says, believe in me. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. With the heart, one believes and is justified. Not with your church attendance, not with your Bible reading. Those things are helpful. They're great graces from God. But with your heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him, King Jesus, will not be put to shame. I want to leave you with this. We're going to move into a time of response. Uh, Nathan uh, may come and sing a song. Um, maybe this is your name. It's just, it's just Saul up here, so I don't offend anyone. Because I don't think we have any Sauls in the room right now. But maybe this is your name. Maybe you've got an excuse, God's later mind. Maybe you're full of anger and bitterness and all these things that are weighing down on you and your knee-jerk reaction is to just, just, just get all in yourself or trample people, whatever it is. Man, I don't, I'm not trying to speak to anyone specific. I know this is my posture. Church, open your hands and say, speak, your servant hears. My heart and life are yours, not mine. That's the phrase. Speak, your servant hears. My heart and my life are yours, not mine. That's our prayer to God today. That's what we learn from these characters. May we not be people who orbit ourselves and do everything for ourselves. May we take Samuel and David's example and be people who seek the heart of God and are changed by, in our hearts by our faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to worship together. If you... 
if you need to talk about something, if there's something going on in your life, I would encourage you, don't let this setting throw you off. Um, Sunday evening, whatever. That's not about that. God brought you here for a reason. If you're watching from home, God brought you here for a reason. If you need to come up here and pray and say, God, I, I'm going to lay down my excuses. If you need to open your hands right now wherever you're at and say, speak, your servant is listening. My life and my heart are yours, not mine. Whatever you need to do. If you've never given your life to the Lord, if you haven't given your faith in Him, your heart isn't changed, you don't know Jesus, you don't want to walk out of these doors and not know that you have eternal life, that you have forgiveness, that you have a relationship with Christ. You don't want to do that. So this is your time. God's given you this moment. I'm going to pray. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. God, I pray that you would guide us as we respond. As, as we cram in this whole book of information, and we look at Saul and Samuel and David, and we're just trying to make sense of this, God. We're trying to speak your words and, and know what you want us to know. God, may your spirit move. May we lay down our excuses. Whatever we need to know. There's so many things to say and to know. God, your spirit is so much more. I'm inadequate. We're inadequate. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak your word. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to hear it and worship together. God, may we lay down our excuses, anger, bitterness, life circumstances. May our hearts be changed by King Jesus. You have all authority. You're with the always. May we believe in that and give our lives to you. Amen. Uh, you can stand. You can sit. We're going to sing. If you need to talk, you can pray. I'll be down here.